Greetings, friends. It's a great blessing for me to come to you and just bring you the good news of Jesus Christ on this Father's Day. Today we're going to focus on God as our loving, caring Father. When we think of God as Father, it should warm our hearts and bring His quality of life to us. And that is what we're going to talk about today. The focus is just going to be on God as Father. Now, before we pray, I want to just give a little bit of a feedback on our trip to Zambia in this last week. As uh, all of you know, last Sunday we did not have a service because we were still traveling. We were on our way through Namibia. Now, we just rushed back to, uh, to Zambia to just pick up our vehicle that was in the accident there and bring it back to South Africa. The insurance is going to, hopefully they're going to repair the vehicle or they'll write it off. We'll see uh, what they're going to do. Um, but we also are in our third wave of the COVID virus. So um, the, the borders and all of those kind of things, we had to think of that. And also going into Zambia was not that easy because uh, the South Africans had to have a, or they have to have, a 14-day quarantine in a local uh, bush hospital, basically, because we're not entering through Lusaka, we're entering through Katima Malilo. And I don't think I'm really in the mood for that. So they gave us a kind of a special permission so that we could just quickly rush through the border, get our vehicle and come out. So we only stayed there for one night. Uh, which was also good because just after we left, there somebody in Kalabu um, got COVID and unfortunately this person passed away and they just clamped down on the regulation so strictly in that little town where we are in. So, um, so we had to come back. But we are planning to go back in August and then attend a conference. We will still see what the law says about everything and how it's going. Uh, but well, we want to do a conference at the end of August with a lot of leaders from that area and also start our building project. Well, enough about the Zambia outreach. Let us just pray together and then get right into this awesome, awesome message about God as a loving Father. Father, I want to thank you for your love and your grace. I want to thank you for your goodness and your kindness and just the warm embrace that we can experience from you. You are a Father that loves us. You're a Father that cares for us. We don't stand in, uh, on a platform of performance where we've got to perform for you, where you are sitting in the crowd looking at how we need to perform and all of that. We are sitting around a kitchen table or in a lounge with you and we are sharing in your quality of life. There's an atmosphere of peace, an atmosphere of kindness, an atmosphere of goodness, an atmosphere of care that there is from you wherein we find our lives because of you. Father, you are the very spirit of our lives. You are the very... Uh, source from where we think and breathe and live because of your outstanding love for us. And thank you that we can talk and think about and ponder on that today. Amen and amen. Now I would like to start off with a passage in Philippians 
this morning in our Afrikaans service, I just started this start out with this just before we went into worship. And this is just a very, very, very powerful, um, powerful passage. I'm just getting uh, Philippians here, chapter 2. And you know this passage uh, off by heart, but let me read it again. It says here in verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is God who works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we have a loving father that works in us to will and to act and so fulfill his good purpose. What is his good purpose then? His good purpose would then be that he and his love and his goodness and his kindness and his care towards us is the source of our will. It's the source of our actions. And he does not want that to be from the platform of a, uh, a, a legal commandment, an ordinance, or something that we need to obey from the power of our own will. He wants to be and he wants his life to be the source of our life. He wants his life to be the source from where we experience our very own will. It is not from a, a platform of manipulation, but a platform of utter care. Since he is the only eternal God and he wants to preserve our lives forever. The beauty about the love of God is that the love wherein we stand when it comes to him is in the preservation of our lives, not in the abandonment of our lives wherein God forces his life down on us. When we find a, a doctor save a person's life, he wants his life, which is maybe his knowledge about medicine, his knowledge about how to live a good life, to be inside that person, not to end that person's personality and who he is, but to preserve it. He wants that person to be preserved. And how much more God? When God comes and he loves on us, when he brings the salvation message message, um, and the salvation plan, it is not to end our lives so that we die. It is so that we can be preserved. So many times we looked at the passage in the scripture where it says, unless we deny ourselves, we will not live forever or lose our own lives. We need to lay down our own lives. Now, when, he, when God talks about that, he doesn't talk about our personality. He doesn't talk about us as people, who we are as a person. In my case, he doesn't talk about uh, Bertie and who he really is. Uh, it basically talks about the life that I have added unto my life and should I have been a Jew in that time where I would identify as a Jew and uh, see myself just as a Jew and not as the person that God sees me to be. We should not confuse laying down our life uh, with laying down who we are as a person. When God talks about laying down our lives, he was talking about laying down of the life people lived 
uh, inside their religion of that day. He wasn't talking about you not existing as a person anymore. He wants you to exist. He wants to preserve you. And that is what the scripture says here. It says here, let us enjoy our salvation for it is God who works in us to will and to do according to his good plan and purpose. I just want to read the Afrikaans there. Can you just give me that Afrikaans Bible, please, Eliana? Um, for those of you that also uh, understand Afrikaans, I'm just going to quickly go there and read, read, that, um, read that passage as well in the Afrikaans. <coughs> it says it this way um, in verse 13. Want hij wat die gewilligheid en die optrede in julle bewerk, soos hy dit goed vind, is God. But he that works in you, the willingness, plus the action, plus how you live, he that works it in you, according to how and what he finds good, is God. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? So God is the one that works in us. He, in other words, is the father of our lives. Now I'm going to look at a definition of the word father. Now today we want to talk about God as father, not just as creator or as boss, but as the one that fathers you into who he is without losing you. If I think of marriage, if Elena and I are becoming one, uh, in this union we find, and what I find is that we become one without losing the other. That is the key. We want union where things become new, where there is a change of life without losing the other. If I um, got married to Helena, but who Helena was would be lost and it would only be me. It would just have been easier just to remain single and just have myself. But once Eliana and I got married and there is a union, there is a sharing of life that takes place when neither of the two is lost. And I believe that is what God has got in mind. He does not want to lose us. He wants to preserve us and the way wherein he preserves us is by fathering us with his very life, which we're going to look at, look at today. Uh, so we're going to look at the father, not as a creator or a boss, but as the one who fathers you unto you as a person sharing in his life, preserving you forevermore. That is what it's about. Now I looked at different definitions of father and we're first going to look at just a loose kind of a definition that I found on, um, on Google and this is of a person that went through a lot of different definitions, basically uh, English dictionaries, many of them, I don't know how many, but many, many of them. He also looked a bit at the Greek and the Hebrew and then he came up with his own idea on what father means or what it means to father somebody and I think it's good I think it's a bit loose we're going to get more into detail but this is so good and so touching it says to father someone or to be able to father is to have the natural ability or qualities and acts to give and share love 
So to father is to have the natural ability. When you're the father of somebody is to give and share love, to nurture, to provide and contribute to the development of their children or their child or children in a non-judgmental, fair and just way. Now listen to that. It is the natural ability, and it's, it's beautiful. If you're really a father, and we talk about God as our father on this Father's Day, it is the natural ability. It's not an effort for God to father you. It's not an effort for God. It comes naturally. It's the natural ability. And the quality, the qualities and acts, the natural ability, the qualities and acts to give and share Love. So when we say God is our Father, we are saying and we are referring to His natural abilities, the qualities and the acts wherein He shares love, wherein He nurtures and wherein God provides and contributes to our development in a non-judgmental and fair and just way so that he can create a, a, a united family environment wherein the children have a positive, peaceful and loving relationship with one another. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? And in this case also says with a mother because he was not talking about earthly fathers. So when we think of God as Father, we are thinking of God as the one who naturally, not by effort, not biting the lip, not trying to work in something to get rid of his anger where he basically punishes Jesus for our sins or any of those things, but where he naturally cares for and have the uh, cares for us and have the qualities and the acts of a father wherein he shares love, where he nurtures us. That means that if you have anything to do with God, if you think of God, if you think of creation, if you think of Jesus, you need to feel nurtured. You need to see his provision and how he contributes to your development in a non-judgmental way. Whenever we get before our Father, in front of our Father, it should be a non-judgmental atmosphere wherein the judgment is defined as God's uh, action to bring life to us and not God's scrutiny of uh, who we are, wherein he all the time points out our mistakes and then tells us what's the right thing to do. That is not a father. That is a boss or a dictator or a lawgiver. You know, when you get to, um, uh, uh, when, when you get to meet with who God really is, his person actuates, it activates life in us. So for God to be Father, it means that that which gives life to Him, He needs to live in a way towards us that it also becomes the source of 
His life in us, where we live from, without losing us. Now I want to tell you, uh, that is, it's only God that can really, really do that in uh, perfectly. Now, uh, when we look at the word Father and we look at this loose definition, we, we get a feeling of safety. We get a feeling of care. We get a feeling of peace. Uh, I see a family in, uh, in a house somewhere in the mountains and it's beautiful and it's peaceful and they love each other. They maybe play board games or they sit and chat, talk about life wherein it is a non-threatening environment. And that is what this definition, this person has put um, put on, on the web here. And I'm blessed with that. I Let me put it this way. That is how God is. And if I had a choice to think of how I would like God to be, that is how I would want Him to be. Because all of a sudden, I find that I'm sure of life. I'm sure of goodness, not just towards me, but in me and through me wherein he is the source of my life. Now, when we look at the Greek, um, it words, uh, words it a little bit differently. And let us look at that. It says here, it's the originator or the transmitter of anything. A father, metaphorically, is the originator or the transmitter of anything. The author of a family or a society or persons animated by the same spirit as himself. Now what that means is, if I am the father of the local bowling club in Malmesbury or the local squash club or tennis club, it would basically mean that I'm the one who starts it, but not just that, but that the spirit, the passion that I have for uh, tennis, for instance, is so contagious that I basically transmits that to others and that they find that they are animated by the very same spirit. That would mean that I am the father of that tennis club. Uh, it would not just be something that I do where I go and register it with the government and say we've got a tennis club and we've got a bank account and those kind of things. The, the father of the tennis club the, the, is the one who has a passion for tennis and has the ability to take, the very, to take tennis that gives him life and transfer tennis in such a way to others that Tennis becomes the source of their life as well and it is their hobby or their passion and they enjoy it together and they all gather in the spirit of tennis. In the very same way when we look at God and we look at this definition we say that God is the author of a family or of people which are animated by the very same Spirit as Himself. So in order for God to be our Father, He cannot just be our Creator. He has to be someone who infuses 
who he is and what gives him life. Now, it's difficult to talk about God the Father as someone who gets life from somewhere, but because of a lack of language and ability to communicate this, please understand it just inside that parameter. But if we think of God as our Father, we, according to the Thayer word definition, metaphorically we have to say that He is the one that loves us in a way that who he is, that which brings him to life, which gives him his existence, which is love and life, <laughs> that it makes us alive as what it makes him alive. That, that is God as Father. It says here, uh, a father is one who who has infused his own life or spirit into others, who actuates and governs their minds so, and so he gives them his life. A father is one who infuses his own spirit into others. Now, our father has got a spirit of eternal life. He's got a spirit of love. He's got a spirit of kindness. He's got a spirit of goodness. He's got a spirit of faithfulness. He's got a spirit of true care and compassion who infuses that. He, he's one who, a father, he's only a father. Once he has infused his spirit into others, so in other words, we are there. He infuses his spirit into us so that we are still who we are. Bertie is still Bertie. Helena is still Helena. But we have now found the same source of life from where we live as a family. And this source of life actuates and governs our minds. And in such a way, we share in God's life. So, when we talk about God as our Father, we have to talk about His Spirit and also how He infuses His Spirit into us. Now, I would like to go and look at a very famous passage in the Bible, which I think everybody teaches about on Father's Day. And I'm going to just teach on this today as well. That's going to be in Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look at how... Uh, the Father acts towards us, how He loves us, how He cares for us. Now, when we look at Jesus and how He cared for sinners and the, uh, what happened there, Jesus takes that and He likens it unto, and He tells the parable of the Father and the prodigal son. And He basically says that's how God fathers us. When God fathers you, he doesn't give you a list of rules. And when God fathers you, it's not just about discipline and the rod and punishment. That is not what it is about. Fathering, the correct way of fathering is loving you unto the life God has. Wherein he, his spirit, that which gives him life, basically guards and guides your thoughts the intents of your heart, and His love and life brings life forth in you. Now we're reading from verse, uh, verse 1 here in Luke 15. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. 
in the Afrikaans it says here that they regularly came or it was their habit. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He welcomes sinners. What does welcoming sinner mean? It would basically in today's language mean he condones sin. That's what it would mean. These people basically complained and they said that this man condones sin because he allows sinners to come to his house. And then he eats with them. They, they complained. The sinners and the publicans came to Jesus. They came to his house. They fellowshiped with him and he received them. Now you need to understand that as you continue here, we're going to see different parables. We're going to see the parable of the lost coin and uh, we're going to also see the parable of the lost sheep and then the, the parable of the, uh, the prodigal son or the loving father as we would, would call that. And Jesus tells these parables of which one is about the loving father and he's basically saying that the reason why I am accepting these sinners and allowing them to sit at my table, which you call the condoning of sin, is basically the Father fathering these people into the life of the Father. That is what it is. So Jesus is the example on how God fathers. How did the father father the, um, the publicans and the sinners? Now the tax collectors and the sinners. We all know that tax collectors in that time were utterly despised. Uh, a good God-fearing Jew of that time would spit on the ground when he sees a tax collector. I've spoken about this um, at length before, but in summary... It is basically, um, when, you, when you would see a tax collector, is you would, as a Jew back then, see him as your enemy. Somebody who has denied God, who has partnered with the enemy, with Rome, and who receives taxes from the Jews. I mean, the Jews loved the money, and uh, they loved their own nation so, so much. And they believed that God would send a Messiah to deliver them from the oppression of Rome. And imagine then a Jew going and working for Rome and then collecting taxes for Rome by which they would make swords and weapons to oppress uh, Israel. Imagine that. It would have been worse than what Jesus, uh, than what Peter has done in denying Jesus. It would be equivalent to what Judas has done and even more. Because these people didn't, as Judas went and hanged himself and felt it was too much for him, they continued in it, here in and here out. And then more than that, these tax collectors, they even then took more money than what was needed. They took money for themselves. They would actually be... Uh, or, or place a bid to Rome and they would say to Rome, listen man, let us collect the taxes. You are only maybe asking 20 denarii, but let me tell you, if you allow me to collect it, I'm going to get you 25. 
And then it would give them the power because they have the power of Rome behind them. And they've got the army of Rome behind them. They've got the law behind them. And then they would collect 30. So they'll be paid by Rome to collect the taxes. Plus they'll get Rome more taxes. Plus they will even have more for themselves. The Bible here says that the tax collectors and the sinners were, were gathering around to hear Jesus. If I read the Afrikaans here, um, it says here, um, All the tollenaars and the zondaars had dukwils nader gekom om na om te luister. It says here that all the tax collectors and the sinners regularly, by custom, came to him to listen to him. When they complained about this, then Jesus told the parable of the lost son. <clears throat> and he basically then said, <clears throat> there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said this to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had set off to a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So what does Jesus do here? Jesus allows the tax collectors and the sinners. When the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complained, he talks about <clears throat> a good father. He talks about a father that is fathering people. <coughs> Excuse me. And what he basically says is, I'm fathering these people. What you are seeing is the heart of the Father, the care of the Father. So many times when we look at Jesus, we have this penalty substitution atonement theology, where we think that the Father is a just God that needs to punish sin and he needs to punish sinners, and that he could not spend any time with sinners because if he would spend any time with a sinner the sinner would seek to cease to exist and he would be uh, washed from the earth uh, because God is so holy and God is so righteous so many times we think of the father as a father that looked at what Adam has done and then the moment Adam uh, sinned then he pushed him out of the garden because he couldn't bear uh, to walk with Adam anymore because Adam is such a sinful person, which is not the truth. The Bible says that God has put Adam out of the tree, out of the garden, so that he could not eat of the tree of life and live forever in misery. That is basically what it talks about. It would be equivalent to, uh, to have somebody have cancer and two weeks before he dies or a week before he dies when he's in absolute agony to give him eternal life in that condition. You would say, no, we're not allowing you to live forever like this. We would rather go and allow you to die, conquer cancer, and then after cancer is conquered, raise you up again so that you can never have cancer again. That's basically what the Father did. And we find that God the Father, after uh, the, Adam and Eve was out, out of the garden, He was the one that came to Abraham. He was the one that spoke to Abraham. He was the one that spoke to Noah. 
He was the one that walked with people afterwards. He was the one that uh, uh, set up tabernacle with the people in the desert. He was the one that spoke to David. He was the one that, that called Israel his son and went and delivered Israel. God the Father. It was God the Father who from the beginning planned that through the man Jesus, people will have eternal life and not by their own abilities. It is a loving father with a loving son, Jesus, who sat together and planned a way wherein people can be created and made, who can have their own personalities and then live forever on account of them donating eternal life to them. And when things uh, became rough, if we want to call it like that, for a lack of... Uh, to save you from not going into deep theological discussion now, we can just say when things seemed not to have worked out the way it was supposed to work out, we find that inside the love and the care of the Father, He could reach to the depths of our darkness and still save us. It is a loving Father that does that. So, what we are going to, um, to do now, I just want to say this, uh, the batteries were removed from that remote, you must just put it in again. <coughs> Uh, it's just that our monitor wants to switch off for some reason here and we just got to restart it. Sorry for that. So when we look at a loving father, when we look at a caring father, we have to see him as one that has always been like that. Jesus didn't save the father from his anger. Jesus didn't bring forth a change in the father. Uh, when he died and rose again and then all of a sudden uh, Jesus came for the Father in relieving the Father from his, his anger. No, when we look at our salvation plan, when we look at the atonement that there is, we have to conclude that the atonement is all about God bringing life to us. That is what it is all about. It is not about uh, God punishing or any of those things. Okay, so we are looking here at uh, Luke 15. Let me read this quickly. We're seeing Jesus fathering, or we can see the Father fathering the tax collectors and the sinners through Jesus. By Jesus preaching a message to them that is so powerful that they are reminded of the goodness of the Father and that they are coming to Jesus. We need to see that these tax collectors and these sinners, which were rejected by Israel basically, are now all of a sudden coming home. They're coming to Jesus. And Jesus picks up on that. And that's where this whole thing uh, comes from. It says here, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off 
um, for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After that he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to be filled with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? So Jesus is saying, when they complained about sinners, and Jesus speaking to sinners, he's saying, let me tell you the story of a good father. Let me tell you a story of a good father. And he says here that the fact that they are coming to their senses and that they are coming home, the fact that they are here with me, is basically the result of the father that has spoken in their hearts from, I would say, the day of their conception, where he has known them where he has spoken to them, where they are now coming to their senses and they are saying there must be a good father. Maybe we have gone and done tax collecting. We've rejected God to a certain way or whatever. But here we're hearing a message of a good father and we are being fathered by God. Listen to what he says. He says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death so he still called God his father we still called his earthly father after he's done everything wrong his father and he said that the attributes of this father is to care he cared for the servants he says I will set out and go back to my father and say to him father I have sinned against heaven and against you I am no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants so he got up and went to his father but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion you remember that Sprachnitzomai where I spoke about compassion where it is the very innermost being, the core, the very spine, if you want to call it, the guts of God where he's moved in his innermost being into action. He says, I, I, he was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Look at the father. Can you see how he's fathering him? Can you see how he's correcting him? We're going to look at correction right now. The son came to him and the father, and he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So many times in our preaching we want to make the focus the repentance instead of the love of the father. He comes, he says, I'm no worthy to be your son. I am, I've sinned against heaven and you. I am just bad. Make me one of your hired servants. But the father said to the servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Now listen to this. Here the son comes. He, he comes home. The father sees him. He has compassion on him. Compassion means you identify with his pain. 
you see him, you see his life where it is, and you are moved in your innermost being, uh, and it goes over into action. It's called love. And he's moved with compassion, and he ran towards him. He grabbed him. The Bible says here he threw his arms around him. You know, our God's heart is full of love, and his arms are opened wide for us. And he kissed him. Imagine the worst way wherein Jesus could have been betrayed was through a kiss. It was very intimate. But here the Father kisses the Son. What he's basically saying here is, Jesus is the Father's kiss to the tax collector and the sinner. It is the Father embracing his people as they come home. He says, but the Father said to the servant, quick, bring the best robe. You know, when we come home, the Father says, so many times we think that, you know, God's whole idea with us is to have servants. No, there's a difference between the son and the servant. There is a time when the son acts as a servant, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain that to you now. We look at that in the Old Testament where Jesus is called, He is my servant. Where Jesus is the servant of the Father, but He is also the Son. But servant as in He brings service to the Father, because the service that God wanted was Please go and save my people. And then Jesus asked the Father's servant not to serve the Father so that the Father can just have things around him. But we find that servanthood, Jesus' servanthood towards the Father is expressed in how he brings the will of the Father, which is our salvation, into manifestation. So we find here that when, when we come home and we say we're not worthy, we cannot just make us a servant we just want to be servants then the father speaks to his servant which is jesus and he says jesus you clothe him what are we clothed with we are clothed with being the very righteousness of god by whom are we clothed by christ we are clothed in jesus so as we come home and we think we, by our own works, are just nothing. God fathers us by speaking to his servant Jesus, who has come to serve us and clothe us. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. What is the best robe? It's the robe of righteousness. The very robe that God is clothed in. Put a ring on his finger. Come and confirm my covenant of eternal life with him. Jesus, confirm the covenant of life. Clothe him with righteousness. Show that you were raised from the dead. Serve them with eternal life. Put sandals on their feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead. Can you see the father never denies sonship? The son of mine was dead. He does, not he does not deny that the son was dead, but he does not, he acknowledges that, but he cannot deny that he's his. 
In order for you to be lost, you must belong. The world belongs. And what they need is to come to Jesus, where Jesus clothes them as they come home. And this is how God fathers us. He says here that he was, the son of mine was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Isn't that beautiful? You know, we can go to the next part of this passage. We talk about the elder brother and his complaints. But let us not look at that now. The beauty we can take from the other brother is that the father said to him, all these days you've been with me. All that is mine is yours anyway. Do you see how he fathers? When we think of our heavenly father, we are not thinking of somebody who's in need of servants that tells the son, quick, 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 do this, do that. When we find the father defining, his, defining servanthood where Jesus said that he did not come to be served but to serve. And when we find in Isaiah 40 where it talks about he, Jesus, the servant of God, we find that he serves the father not in um, trying to appease the father's anger or to do service as in he needs somebody to worship him or pray to him. We find that he serves the father as God's hand extended in helping and healing his people. That is what this is all about. The scripture says in Matthew 6 verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air, they sow not, neither reap nor do they gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father will care better for you than for these birds because you are worth more than they. Now, those were the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew. Those were the words of the Father's servant who has served us and so fathers us unto a brand new life. As we are served by Jesus with this life, the life of God is formed and shaped in us by the power of His, His resurrected Jesus so that we can share in God's quality of life. The Bible says, As many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. What he means by that is, as many as what have received the love of God as Father, what fathers us and what gives life to us is receiving the service that the Father offers us in Jesus Christ, in believing that He gives us eternal life. As we believe and rely and trust upon Him, we find that His life is formed in us. And we find that we share as individuals, as Berti, without losing my personality, without losing who I am, I share in what it feels like to love others. And so if I am a servant in the kingdom of God, all that I am is I am the one whom the Father has loved, through whom this or in whom this life is formed, whereby others are now pointed to the same loving Father. Glory to God. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace where we can receive help in the time of need. Let us behold our loving Father today. 
Yes, we can honor our earthly fathers today, and that is very good. But above all, let us remember our true Father. Call no one Father but one. Jesus, our Christ. He will be called loving Father. That's what the scripture says. He's so one with God, the Father. He calls God Father, but we even will say to Jesus that you are the one that fathers us into eternal life. He shall be called Prince of Peace, Eternal Father. He is called the one that gives life. I want to encourage you today to continually look at the love that God has for you. And whenever you feel that you are not loved, whenever you feel that you go through a difficult time, I want to tell you, if you come to your right mind, to your right senses, you will be reminded of the goodness of the Father. And as you come home, you might be in an, maybe a not accurate theological discussion where you think, I'm, I'm not worthy to be your son, all those kind of things. But God will always correct you. And this is what it talks about, chastisement. Chastisement is the correction. The father chastised the son that came home that thought he was just a servant. The way he chastised him, the way he corrected him, was in giving him accurate information. Not just information, but by loving him, putting a ring on his finger, um, clothing him in a robe, slaughtering the fatted calf, making sure that he understands who he is. That's how correction works. Correction is not a painful action towards us. It might be painful when you realize that you were wrong, but it's always pleasurable as you realize the good that God offers you freely. Amen and amen. Let us pray together as we end the service. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness. Thank you that we can be here together and we can be reminded of the love that you have for us. Thank you that we are safe in your house forevermore. Amen and amen. I will then speak to you again in this week. Know that you are deeply loved by God. God bless.